Welcome into football and other efforts. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at EffortsPod. He's Mike Herndon. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Herndon NFL. And today we are joined by Cole Brown, former assistant director of player personnel scouting for Auburn, uh, player personnel coordinator for Michigan State, and a college scouting assistant for the New York Football Giants, and also a data analyst for Pro Football Focus, notorious Titans haters, Pro Football Focus, <laughs> hate everything about us. And Cole Brown is the reason they probably hate us because he has analyzed the data. I don't know if it's specifically for the Titans, but uh, you can follow him on Twitter at ColeBrown12 underscore. So make sure you have the underscore in there for that. We are brought to you by Bluegrass Beverages. Went to a barrel pick yesterday spot that Bluegrass Beverages and Sinkers both took us on. It was amazing. Uh, really learned a lot about bourbon that I didn't know about. And uh, I'm not saying I'm a bourbon expert quite yet, but I have a greater appreciation for everything that goes into a bourbon barrel pick, I guess you'd say. But Bluegrass Beverages and Hendersonville Sinkers in East Nashville, uh, award-winning like this podcast. All right. Top of the top of the thing, let's get DeAndre Hopkins talk out of the way. Uh Cole, you are also a fan of the Tennessee Titans from what uh, Die Hard told fan. me. Absolutely. All right. Um, so take us through your thought process on DeAndre Hopkins from either a fan or a scouting perspective, if you want. Yeah, no doubt, man. So obviously as a Titans fan, you know, it's pretty easy to be excited just looking at his career. He's obviously been a game changer. He's been number one receiver, um, you know, kind of been the number one threat, you know, defenses have to kind of prepare, prepare for um, so as a fan's perspective, you know, it's definitely exciting. Um, but it's kind of the same excitement you have for Julio Jones that you probably have for Randy Moss back in the day. You know, he's he's definitely, you know, looking at last year, um, ball skills, you know, all that is still there. Um, so even when he is covered, he's open because he has insane ball skills um, and a catch radius. The, the biggest thing for me is when you watch him run, I do think there's, there's not as much juice there anymore. Um, so being that, you know, number one guy or a thousand yard receiver where everyone's, you know, worried about him, I don't quite think he's that anymore not saying he's still not good and not an ass that the titans need because if you look at their receiving core uh, there's not much you know there uh, not saying anything negative but it's just kind of the facts um so i i do think that he will bring you know um juice to the titans i do think he'll be a you know a, a threat for them but i you know being that you know deandre hopkins were used to in the texans days or even the beginning of the cardinals you know days i don't think he's quite that anymore uh, but i do think it, it's a need for them uh and i think they you know I would do whatever it takes to get him. Um, you know, obviously I wouldn't go, you know, overpay him, but at the same time, uh, it's just watching him run. It's definitely a huge difference compared to back in the day, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I think we both agree with that. And your, yeah. your assessment is spot on Mike. He's, he is flying in today, traveling in today to the new England Patriots. Uh, apparently money heals all wounds for Deandre Hopkins, because apparently him and according to Diana Rossini, him and Bill O'Brien are uh they're like BFFs now that he's visiting the Patriots. Um what when do you expect, honestly expect an actual decision to be made regarding DeAndre Hopkins? I mean, my guess is that this drags on for a little bit, right? I mean, he's gonna I feel like he's gonna take some visits. He's probably gonna mull it over. Training camp doesn't start till late July. So we've got like the six-week dead period that we're about to head into where nothing's really going to be happening. I mean, sure. He could be, you know, I guess learning the playbook, but you know, specifically for his fit with the Titans or new England, I mean, it's not going to be a ton of learning, right? Cause he's going to basically be picking up the same offense that he ran in Houston. So I think, I don't think that's going to be a huge concern of his 
Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's, you know, late July, right before training camp, before he actually makes a decision and, and signs on the dotted line with somebody. Basically, Jadavian Clowney's timeline. So that's yeah. not the Andre Hopkins stock. I'm, I'm kind of over, kind of like I was over the Jadavian Clowney talk. I'm kind of already over the DeAndre Hopkins stock. Well, Just I, I, one, already. one one last thing to add on it. I, I think that uh, the way you should look at him from a Titan standpoint is you're not signing him to be like the 1500 yard, you know, 100%. top receiver. You're signing him to be a, like ideally a really good wide receiver to behind Traylon Burks is 100%. what the ideal scenario is. You got Burks who kind of gives you that like top line. He still has the the high level athleticism. He, you know, he's reportedly in great shape, all that stuff. You want him to be your number one guy regardless. And then you want Hopkins to be like a really good number two. Um, and then everything kind of falls into place from there. Cause you got Chig, you got Cal Phillips, you know, those guys can be in that like, third or fourth target kind of role i feel like credibly at this point um and hopkins just kind of makes all the all the pieces fit a little bit better which is why i think he's so important for them to bring in yeah totally agree i mean and he pushes just everybody down the depth chart uh okay i said uh, we were done with deandre hopkins stuff i have to i have to get a, a two remarks i heard former tennessee titans wide receivers say on the radio so it is on the record this is not me making this up Derek Mason on Monday said that he would rather have Chris Moore and NWI over DeAndre Hopkins because of a, I'm assuming, a football outsider's metric in terms of who is the most efficient wide receiver. And NWI ranks higher than DeAndre Hopkins, apparently, in this one metric. So that means that, obviously, DeAndre Hopkins is a worse wide receiver than NWI. Uh, I'll start with you, Cole. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I uh, respectfully disagree. Uh, you know, NWI's had, what, like three good games in his career and versus DeAndre Hopkins has had like eight or nine good years, you know. you know. So to me, uh, again, I, I agree exactly what Mike said. He's, you know, ideally he's a great number two for you coming in, um, you know. Um, and just, if you can get, you know, 700 plus yards from him, that's fantastic. But uh, NWI and Chris Moore, they, they really haven't done much in their career. So it's like they're not going to change now. It's kind of you are what you are, in my opinion. So um, I, I disagree with that. Mike? Disrespectfully disagree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, NWI is not to be mentioned in the same sentences. Hopkins, even even at age 31. Uh, yeah, I think it's very disrespectful to everything that D-Hop has done. And like overly respectful i guess to nwi yes, way because, overly respectful <laughs> yeah i i don't understand it and on the flip side chris sanders has talked about Traylon burks and he said if i was Traylon burks's shoes and i heard this deandre hopkins news coming off the practice field that they were going to bring him in for a visit i would be pissed because i am the number one wide receiver not DeAndre Hopkins. They don't need DeAndre Hopkins. They got me. That's what he thinks the mentality should be. I, again, disagree with that. Because I I feel like nowadays, these wide receivers, while they do have a alpha mentality or a diva, sort of diva kind of mentality, they know they can't do it alone, right? Like, if DeAndre Hopkins only makes Traylon Burks better, it only makes the team better. You didn't see Devontae Smith start throwing a fit and holding out because the team traded for A.J. Brown. You didn't see Jalen Waddle do the same thing with Tyreek Hill. They embraced these guys because they know they're going to get better as a unit. I mean, I, I don't know what's going on with former <laughs> Titans wide receivers on the radio, but they need to like take a step back and get a dose of reality here. 
and in my opinion, too, again, Traylon Burks is in year two, and he had what I mean, 500 yards or so last year. Like, why why would he not welcome a, a strong veteran presence where he can learn from? Um, he was obviously respected around the league. Again, Traylon Burks hasn't done enough to be like I'm the number one guy. Like, don't nobody coming here. Like, again, he he played half the season last year. He was hurt half the time. Um, he has a lot to prove himself. Um, so again, if anything, it would better him. Um, you know, so I, I don't you know I don't agree with it being like him being like oh I'm the number one guy. I, I disagree with that. And, and also, A.J. Brown literally begged on social media for the Titans to trade for Julio Jones. <laughs> and I, last time I checked, A.J. Brown, not a, not a beta receiver. Like, he, he is uh, he is an alpha. He's not a shrinking violet out there. So, I, yeah, no concerns about Traylon Burks saying he would like to have DeAndre Hopkins here. Or, or the stupid reports that, you know, that took him out of context and said, like, I'm, we're good with what we have here or whatever. Like, come on. It, just yeah. absolute pure clickbait shit. Well, yeah. everybody's saying because he said no offense, but, and everybody knows that when you say 90% of the time, yeah. when you say no offense, but yeah. you're about to offend someone. I think, I think uh, <laughs> this is the, you know, the same people who are counting how many times will Levis or Ryan Tano or Mike Vrabel touches their face in a press conference. Like, <laughs> you know, at some point it's just, you have to understand that these guys are not, uh, coached up every day and how to say and what to say and sometimes it's just you got to take their words at face value for these for these players um going into kind of tying into what you've done in your work uh history here um cole the tennessee titans have had a kind of an up and down relationship with the nfl draft and I want to get into a couple of the different specific players or situations with the Tennessee Titans, but kind of tell everybody what you did for the New York Giants and what you did for both Auburn and Michigan State. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. So, you know, kind of getting started with the uh, New York Giants. So I was a college scouting assistant. And, you know, when you think of that role for majority of teams, you're just kind of. Oh, oh no, we lost. <laughs> Sorry about that. There you go. Yeah, no, but, you know, when you think of a, you know, college scouting assistant, for the most part in the NFL, you're doing a lot of the, you know, grunt work, you know, you're going to the airport runs, you're um, doing all the, you know, data entry, uh, helping with the pro advances, things like that. Well, with the Giants, I actually had a unique experience where I was strictly college, and that was it. Um, they gave me 26 schools, uh, so I got to go on the road, I'm, you know, by myself, week-long trips. Um, a lot of smaller schools, but, you know, the biggest school I had was I had Rutgers, I had UConn. Uh, and they had Travis Jones at that point, which was a pretty big name prospect at the time. And then um, uh, as well as, um, you know, a couple of small schools like Penn, um, you know, Sacred Heart, you know, so, you know, kind of schools that you don't really think of, uh, you know, you know, prospects coming from. But actually, Julius Chestnut was one of my guys. I scouted yeah, out. Good. One of my, you know, he's a, I would say he's a good friend. You know, we, we stayed in touch. And when he made the 53-man roster last year, I was fired up for him. And um, he, he's a great kid. But um, besides the point, you know, so uh, I did a lot. I got to experience a lot. I went to 11 pro days. I actually ran Sony Books pro day, uh, pro day myself. Um, you know, got to, I ran DB drills at Delaware, uh, DB drills at Temple's pro day. So I got to do a lot of cool things in that aspect. Um, I went to four all-star games, interviewed tons of players, got to evaluate players from the, you know, kind of cross-check players from the, uh, you know, the all-star games. And then in the draft, I actually got to sit in the room. I got to read my, you know, my evals and everybody. Now, obviously, I'm the young guy. Everybody's kind of like, all right, cool, you done, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but it was still a great experience. And, and then on draft day, I actually got, I was the one moving the tags, you know, and everyone, somebody got picked, and so that was a really cool experience. And I actually helped sign, uh, you know, a couple of free agents or one free agent. I ended up getting cut, but 
uh, still good experience to kind of deal with man, with agents and, 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 and finesse that a little bit. So um, had a really good experience there. Um, and then in the college world, it, it's a little different. So I was, you know, uh, at Michigan State, I was the defensive player personnel coordinator, which is just like a, a, a lesser title than assistant DPP, but it's the same role. They can just pay me less. It's kind of like the other <laughs> difference. But um, so I was in charge of the defense there. So in terms of all the defensive recruiting, uh, I found all the players, would make all the game cuts, uh, you know, help with the defensive recruiting uh, and, and sat in with the defensive coaches to watch film, uh, help run the defensive recruiting meetings, things like that. And then at Auburn, I was the opposite. I was on offense. Uh, so in terms of their offensive recruiting uh, and evaluating, I kind of oversaw all of that. Um, and it was a little bit different at Auburn because of the situation. You know, it was kind of, uh, you know, going into that job, I kind of knew, you know, we were on the hot seat. So uh, it was definitely an interesting, an interesting year. Well, take us through uh, what you can uh, yeah. about the Auburn situation because, I mean, as an Alabama fan, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's not cool, man. I'm sure <laughs> you did not. I'm sure you did not, but uh, yeah. it was a uh, dumpster fire that kept everybody on the edge of their seat, you know, in the SEC that followed it. What is it? I mean, because you, you were with the Giants, and I believe that would have still been um, – uh, Joe Judge as coach, so yeah. that was kind of its own interesting uh, situation as well. <laughs> um, and then now you go into the situation at Auburn. Um, are you the problem, or did yeah, that look yeah, following I think, I think you? I am the problem, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, but, no, but I'll say this, right? So at the Giants, I experienced Joe Judge and, and uh, Dave Gettleman. Uh, and first off, I'm gonna say this: shout out to Dave Gettleman. Uh, you know, everyone kind of you know you know dogs him, but he he's a great guy. Uh, you know, he even called me, uh, I want to say in July, you know, the summer and, you know, just, you know, caught up with me and made sure I was doing good. Like, he's a great guy. Um, you know, he always, every time he'd walk by my desk, he'd always be like, Cole, how you doing, bud? Like, every time, like, very, so I have nothing but respect for, for Dave Gettleman. And he gave me a shot that, um, you know, I was looking for. And uh, so, but then I was also there uh, for the few months with Brian Dable and Joe Shane. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, Brian Dable is a fantastic human being. Uh, I, I, I knew uh, when he got hired and kind of seeing the culture change and the environment, not just with the team, but with everybody in the building, uh, I knew that something special was going to come. Uh, and, I, and I would work for that guy anytime, any day. Like, he is a fantastic person. Uh, and Joe Shane also, he'll, he's a great guy. He'll, uh, he'll have a lot of success. But, uh, but, but those two together are, are a great match. And, uh, nothing but, you know, the most respect for both of them. Uh, now, getting on to Auburn. You know, it's a weird situation. You know, I came from Michigan State, you know, in college where, you know, recruiting is everything. You know, Coach Tucker is the real deal when it comes to recruiting. Uh, I mean, it's 24-7, 365, uh, everything centered around recruiting. Uh, you know, I'll say this. At Auburn, I don't think recruiting, you know, under, you know, the staff I was under, uh, you know, uh, I don't think with the coaching staff it was uh, the number one priority just because of the situation. Like, it was pretty much if we don't win, we're not going to be here. Mm -hmm. um so it's kind of became like all right well if we start losing at this point like you know i care about recruiting and coaches still did a good job and they tried but it's just kind of hard to sell a product when everyone on the outside knows all right probably gonna get fired so that was kind of the biggest situation it was just you know with everyone kind of uncertain what was, what was going to happen um you know i think recruiting kind of you know fell to the back burner a little bit um which kind of you know put them in the situation where you know, the talent wasn't, wasn't, you know, what Auburn normally has overall in the roster and then obviously kind of got depleted from there. But, um, but I do think, you know, Hugh Freeze will come in. Um, you know, he's all about recruiting as well. I think he'll be, he's a great fit for them. Um, and, and I do think it will definitely get turned around. So sorry about that. You know, I think they'll be competing with family here soon. But, um, yeah. but it was definitely because coming from, 
you know, you know Coach Tucker, where it's like, you know, nonstop 24-7 to, you know, it's just a little bit different. So that's, in my opinion, again, you know, Harson and staff, they were all really good, um, really good coaches. Um, but I just think recruiting in the SEC has to be, like, number one. Like, if you don't have the good players, I don't care how good of a coach you are, you're not going to win. You're not going to compete for championships. It's just not going to happen. So um, that, to me, is kind of what, um, the, the you know, the setback was. And like, what, one thing uh, that you kind of touched on with a couple of those um, was kind of the importance of the leadership uh, at the top and, and how that kind of ripples throughout the building. Yeah. Can you talk on that a little bit more? Cause I think that's something that maybe gets a little bit overlooked and the, you know, everyone looks at rosters, everyone looks at, you know, there's all the, you know, the fantasy football kind of side of things, but I feel like the leadership and, and what coaches do in the building, not just like on game day yeah. uh, is such, such a big part of like why a team is successful or not. Um, yeah. And, and, and you're right. Right. Like to me, um, you know, Joe Judge was, you know, who's a leader. Like, again, he, he, he was definitely, uh, you know, he, he had a different way of leading. Uh, Brian Dable is more of like, you know, he, he demands respect, but at the same time, like anybody can talk to him. Anybody can come up to him. He'll talk with everybody. Um, he's all about culture, environment. Um, even, even myself, he'd come up to me, crack a joke to me. Like I'm the scouting assistant that, you know, the lowest paid guy in the totem pole. Like he would come, he would talk to me all the time. Um, you know, he, he was always there to help. He would listen. Um, and I think players respect that a lot when they know that their leader will do anything for them or you know, cares about them and will take care of them. Um, he would do competitions with coaches in front of the players, like, just, you know, just to have fun and laugh. And, you know, coaching staff would have races, you know, during off time, just have, you know, see who could win between like the D-line coach and the O-line coach, he could run fast or things like that. So um, it's just about like everyone enjoyed being there, um, you know, with Dable. So that, that to me is, you know, I mean, even myself, like, you know, even though it was a stressful time because I wasn't sure what was going to happen with myself, but just under Dable, it was just, it was fun. Um, I think it was like a, you know, a good rejuvenation. Everybody was happy. Um, and again, it's because everyone knows that he has their back um, and he'll push you, but at the same time, like he's going to have your back and he'll be there for you and do whatever you know he can for you. And I think that goes a long way. Okay. So the Tennessee Titans, obviously you, you scouted, you do your reports and all this stuff for the uh, 11 pro days and the about 20 to 30 schools, I believe, is what you said that you mm -hmm. were doing with, with the New York Giants. How does someone like Isaiah Wilson fall through the cracks for a particular team? Because obviously after he was drafted, other teams came out and said that they had certain yeah. information that apparently the Tennessee Titans failed to get or or chose to ignore if they had it. Mm -hmm. Um and then you've seen kind of like this, there's this kind of weird trend going on at Georgia where everybody's thought of highly, no one's a bad leader, but no one's ever good when they get into the NFL, it feels like lately. Uh, what, as a scout, I guess, first off, what is that just because they failed to do their due diligence or for that particular scout? Or how does that kind of like happen? Because it's not just Tennessee Titans, obviously. Yeah. Other, other teams have done something similar maybe not as egregious but something similar yeah you know i i personally you know obviously i don't know the situation in terms of like if they were you know receive wrong information or, or what it may be uh there, you know i have seen or i've heard of times where you know sometimes scouts can give all the information to the you know the head coach and general manager and sometimes they can just be like you know what you know i can out coach this or i can get them out of this and they just think they can do it um because of the talent um so that could be a reason why uh you know i, I would assume 
if, if a lot of other teams knew about it, I'm sure they did as well, like the issues. Uh, but I, I would just, you know, again, this is completely just assumption, but, you know, for, for you to miss that badly on somebody, it'd probably be a situation where you think you can get them out of it or you think you can, well, we'll be able to mentor them or whatever it may be, and then you fail at it or you fail to do it um, because, I mean, there's players all the time that have the talent, but maybe, you know, their character is bad. Um, and everyone knows about it because everyone's told the same stuff, um, you know, but um, it could just be a situation where you're, you know, you're kind of just, you know, you'll take the chance because of the, of the talent. Uh, I do know this, though, you know, most people think of scouts and they think of, okay, talent evaluation, right? Um, you know, I was told this from my boss who, you know, was in the league for 18 years. And, you know, what makes a great young scout or even a really good scout is the background information. Like how much information can you get? Uh, and that's built through relationships with the pro liaison or anybody on staff, right? Like if I walk up to somebody, you know, at Georgia that I don't even know, he's going to tell me all the basic information and that's it. But if you say, Mike, say you knew that guy very well, he's going to tell you everything you want to know, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it just kind of varies on relationships. Um, how well can you, you know, you know uh, create a relationship with the pro liaison, the ball boy, the GA, whoever it may be that will give you the real information. Uh, and that, that to me um, – you know, it's what separates scouts from one another. Because at the end of the day, there's like, you know, if I'm writing a player, so is the, uh, you know, the national scout, so is the director of player personnel, so is the, you know, college scouting director, so is the assistant GM, so is the GM. So like, at the end of the day, my eval does not matter because, you know, the, the people up top make those calls. But my information I get is things that, you know, they might not either, whether I have a connection with somebody they don't have, or I'm the one doing all the work. So that to me is the most important aspect of being a young scout is getting that information that people can't get. Um, and that, and not everybody can do it. Um, you know, obviously scouts are, you know, good at their job and they do a great job and, and I have a ton of respect for, for all the scouts that I know, but, um, that's kind of the only thing I could think of is like, maybe they just didn't have the relationship that they, that they, you know, uh, that they needed. But again, I'm assuming, you know, Mike Vrabel is a pretty big name. I'm assuming he knows somebody at Georgia that can tell him the truth. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, I would, I would probably lean more towards like they knew the information, but they just said, Hey, you know what? Like we can get this out of him. Like we can, we can get him right. And then it didn't happen. And how do you go, how do you balance, I guess, the, because all, all colleges want to promote their guys, right? Because it's, yeah. it's good for them, uh, you know, when they can promote, well, we had six first round 100%. picks in the last, you know, two years or whatever mm-hmm. um, from a recruiting standpoint. But, you know, so obviously they're all trying to make their guys look as good as possible. So how yeah. do you know when you're getting like the real story from a coach or, or yeah. whoever on staff or you're getting the the company line of, you know, we want to make this guy sound like the next, uh, you know, Orlando pace um, because, you know, it's good for us. Yeah. I'll say this, it goes back to relationships, right? Like if a guy knows you and trusts you, if I, if so, for example, say, you know, me and and the Georgia head coach are super close, right? If I trust him and then he tells me, you know, there's some company line, it's a lie. Like that's going to affect the future, you know, me, me drafting their players in the future, which again affects mm-hmm. them and their recruiting and their strategy of being like, oh, we have seven first round picks. Like it all goes back to the relationships and trust. Like it's mm-hmm. anybody can, you can say that, but then if you are lying, everyone's going to find out about it and they're not going to trust you. So, yeah. and that will affect you in the long run. So, okay. How do you balance, I guess, um, or get the correct information or project out? Injured players, because obviously Jeffrey Simmons was injured, but he's mm-hmm. fine. Caleb Farley was injured, and he's not fine. Uh, yeah. Christian Fulton and David Long continually have injuries, even though they were, I believe, relatively healthier in college. Like, how do you walk that line as a scout in getting talent, but getting also healthy talent? 
Yeah, you know, I think it's two things. One, you know, when you go when you go to schools, you talk with trainers, you talk with everybody, and you find out the information you can find out. But then also your medical team, they're a huge part of the process as well. Um, so I think at the end of the day, it's kind of trusting what your medical team believes. Um, you know, if they say, because everyone will have a medical grade. Um, so, you know, if, if they're a medical F, like most of the time, at least, you know, what I've experienced, they're off the board. They're not even like a discussion. It's just kind of like, you know, what our team, which the Giants have a super, super highly respected, um, you know, staff, you know, medical staff. Um, Ronnie Barnes has been there forever. He's like a legend in the, you know, staff or the uh, training, you know, world. But um, so it's, it's really just about trusting your staff. And if they think he's okay, then it, it, that's up to you at that point. But you know, I know, like, you know, from my experiences, if they were received like a medical F, like there was, it's off the board, not even dealing with that. So it kind of just depends, you know, it varies per training staff, really what they, what they think is okay. And then again, everyone has different opinions, right? Like same thing with evaluating, like one doctor could say, Hey, you know, he could be fine. Another one could be like, Hey, there's no chance in heck he's playing. Right. So it kind of just depends on, um, you know, what your medical staff thinks and, and, and how willing you are to trust them. The, um, I guess, okay, so flipping over and putting on, taking off the scout hat and putting on the player personnel hat uh, that you've, you've dealt with. Um, you know, at Michigan State, at Auburn, what what are you looking for to complete a team like that? Like, what is your overall directive? Are you Are you allowed to... Kind you are you given like a set of parameters and you need to find players that come into those parameters? Like how yeah. does that how does that go? Yeah. So from my experiences, you know, everything I've always dealt with is you go to each, you know, each individual coach that you're working with. So like say it was defense, you go to linebackers, the corners, safeties, D line, and you're looking for what they're looking for, right? Like if they want a, you know, you know, big and long D lineman, right? That's what you're gonna look for. If they want a, you know, more athletic and smaller guy like an Aaron Donald, that's what you're looking for. It kind of varies per coach. And then also per the coordinator, what they want to run. Um, and then like, I know like at yeah, both actually Auburn and Michigan state, like, you know, if it's, there's, there's some like disqualifiers, like if you're a receiver and you're five, eight, like it's like, don't even bring him to the table. Like no matter, unless he can, you know, walk on water and do everything. It's like probably not going to be a fit for what they're looking for. So you really get told by each coach what they want. And then you try to find, you know, the closest thing to what they want. So a guy like Jaden Reed, who's a little bit on the smaller side yes. who. I I got to see I went down to the senior bowl and covered the senior bowl night. That's my first real like experience up close seeing Jaden Reed. And then I go back and watch the film. And I thought he was like the perfect example of a Tennessee Titans wide receiver. I wrote about stackinginbox.com. Like I was in love with Jaden Reed and thought that he was gonna be a Tennessee Titan for sure. Um <laughs> I wish. That that kind of player who's on the smaller side who maybe straddles the line of what you're looking for, what pushed him over the edge in your mind to make a Michigan state roster and to get recruited by them. Yeah. So actually Jaden Reed was a transfer from Western Michigan. He actually got there uh, and he, he didn't play, but he practiced this, the last season for Mark D'Antonio. Um, so he, he was there um, already. Um, and it's actually crazy. So uh, in an exit interview that, uh, you know, the old coach had, he, he, he mentioned that Jaden Reed, he was like, he's uncoverable. And he actually called him a Greg Jennings, like prototype. And it's kind of funny that he got drafted by the Packers, but um, Jaden Reed, uh, I might have told Mike about him years ago as well. Like I, I've, been, I've yep. been on him for a long time, you know, because I've seen the work he puts in. That dude is different. He, he, uh, I call him like a dog. Like he, he grinds. Uh, he'll outwork anybody. Um, and I truly like this is you know honest truth. During one on ones, I never saw him lose once. Like in my in my year and a couple months at Michigan State, he never lost once. Um, so I think his mindset. 
uh, is kind of what helps him separate because he is like probably what five ten or so. Not a, not a big guy, but he is he's built different. Like he he is going to make it. Um, I think he's going to be a very good pro. I mean, I was I, I was hoping the Titans took him. I was telling all my Scotty friends like Jaden Reed. I'm telling you, like he's going to be a guy that goes like third fourth and up being a sleeper. Uh, and I'm glad he went second because he deserves it. He's he's a good player. Yeah. yeah uh, and, go ahead. And, and related to that, because I mean, you knew early, early on yeah. that, that, that Jaden, like this was before I I didn't I'd never heard the name before, right? And uh, and you were telling me, you know, look out for this kid. He's going to be something. So. How often do you see it, like in your experience, that if a guy's going to be good, he shows it like immediately, or or do you see it kind of a mixed bag between like some guys, you know, kind of grow into it and and you know take a little bit of a more of a slow burn in college, or or is it usually just kind of a instant star factor? Um, I think it varies. Like with with Jaden, his mindset and his work ethic kind of helped him, you know, kind of get to where he was. But there's also guys that, you know, that bloom on confidence. They have to just go out there and do it. And then mm-hmm. once they kind of do it, they're like, all right, I can do this now. Let's go, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I think it varies. But with, with Jaden and, uh, you know, to me, it was from the day one when I met him. And I was like, this guy's a stud. This guy is like, this is like your number one guy you want right here. Like, let's, you know, you know in terms of a leader, everything about the guy, he is uh, all around like stud. And uh, I'm pumped for him. And, uh, you know, I hope that he, uh, you know, ends up being like their their guy, you know, down the line because he again he is a very very um, talented player. Um, let's let's close this up because I know every, you, we got some schedules pushing up against the deadline and everything. Um, t- let's talk about the what you saw specifically about the Titans twenty twenty two draft class, and let's start with Peter Skaronsky. The big thing around him, well, the the big discourse around him was whether he was going to be a guard or a left tackle. Yeah. And obviously the Tennessee Titans believe that he's going to be a guard. So I got a two-part question for you on Peter Skronsky. Do you think, from what you learned at your time with the New York Giants, does arm size or length matter? And is guard at pick number 11, if that's what he ends up being, even though he may be an all-pro or pro bowler mm-hmm. or whatever, is that good value in the draft room? Yeah, I uh, I 100% believe that arm length matters for tackles. Now, not in college as much, but in the NFL, uh, I do think it matters a lot. Um, just you know, so you don't get reached, so you don't so you can get people off your chest. You don't because if a defender gets in your chest, it's over. So if you have short arms, it's a lot easier for defenders to get in your chest. Um, now, to be honest with you, like in terms of you know the value, uh, you know for a guard. You know, I, I haven't watched enough of Peter's film to be like, oh, this guy is a Quentin Nelson type prototype to where he's worth the top 10 pick. I, I truly have not watched enough to, to, you know, to make something up and be like, oh, yeah, you know. So, uh, you know, my this is just my opinion. I believe on drafting um, value, not need. So that's just my philosophy and my personal belief. So, uh, you know, if, if they had him value there, then 100 percent. But if it was a reach, you know, or like we need a guard, so let's go take a guard here. You know, at that point, you know, they could have probably gotten more value in that aspect. But if he ends up being a, you know, a six-time Pro Bowler selection, you know, at the end of the day, it's worth it. Um, and and I'd rather have him than Will Levis at, you know, at their pick as well. So now I like Will Levis long term. I think he, you know, has a chance. I know there's a lot of mixed reviews on him, but um, and again, quarterbacks are tough. You you truly don't know until they do it. Um, but um, you know, I I think you know they they need O line help. He's probably he probably the you know he's a top two you know. Uh, o line prospect in the draft at the time. I know the guy from that went drafted to the uh, was it the Cardinals uh, from uh, from Ohio State. Yeah, uh, Paris Johnson. I, yeah, Paris Johnson. I know he was up there as well. But um, I think if if he's 
the way drafts work is you have your board and you're going to have, I know, um, you know, Rand Carthon kept talking about the board was talking to us. Like on your board, right, you're going to have all your picks. You probably only have 15 to 17 players in the first round. It's probably all you have. Um, and then you're never going to draft a guy that has less than a fifth round value on your board. So like even in the seventh round, the guys you're drafting probably have a fifth round value on your board, right? Um, so if he, if they're at their pick and he's their top guy at that point, like that's, that's the best player they think is available. So go get him, Right. Um, because again, it's, it's their value. He's their best player on the board. Um, so, um, uh, that's just what I believe in. Uh, that's how I know what I, what I'm used to is again, it's cause there's so many times where, um, you know, like even quarterbacks, like you, you probably have a second round grade on them, but it could be the highest grade you have left. So it's like, that's the best value. Um, if, if you need that position, but, um, so that, that's just my thoughts on that. I'm curious about uh, you. I don't think Brian Harson overlapped at all with Malik Willis at um, he did not. at Auburn. Um, but did you hear anything, you know, from talking to folks around the program or anything like that about Malik Willis that that's applicable to you know how he uh, projects as a as an NFL quarterback? Because I, I still think there's, I mean, he's he seems to have taken a step forward in in OTA so far this year. We'll see we'll see kind of how that sticks later in training camp and preseason, but. I still think he's an interesting character on this team. Yeah. So, I, you know, personally, no, I've not heard anything about him because really, pretty much everyone that was there, um, you know, when I was there, had been there within the last year or so. So they're pretty new. Um, and I don't think any coaches were there either. Uh, maybe Cadillac Williams was there, you know, in 2019 or so, if Malik was there at that point, but uh, not so, not too much information in that aspect. Me personally, I'm not a huge fan. I think he's athletic as heck. I think he's got, you know, arm strength. But to me, you know, accuracy that that doesn't really normally ever get better it can get better but you know uh i mean outside of like you know josh allen how many times has it actually gotten that much better to where it's like a significant difference and uh and then to me too i I don't know how well he processes and again i don't know how much you can improve that either that's kind of just like you know football intelligence i don't know it's like regular intelligence like you don't just like you can't just train to get super super smart you know it doesn't work like that so um so that to me that's why i'm kind of like uh you know I, I hope he does well because, again, I'm, I'm a Titans fan, and I, whether it's Will Levis or, or uh, Malik, you know, I hope one of those two are the answer. But uh, I'm, I'm not high on, on Malik at all uh, personally. So uh, I, I think Will Levis, you know, will be better. You know, Will Levis has his own issues with some accuracy stuff, some lower body mechanical issues. But, but again, you can, like, coach up lower body mechanics and stuff like that, which results in a lot of inaccuracies. But, you know, at least he's – like, he's – from what I've read and what I've heard, he's a smart, intelligent guy. So – um, you know, that could help a lot with processing, um, you know, going through your progressions, your reads, things like that, which, I don't, you know, you can obviously get coached it. But again, it's, it's more instinctive. Like, do you have it or, or not? Um, and that's just my opinion on that. Speaking of processing, uh, did you guys during your time either at uh, college or with the Giants, um, did you run across any of the S2 stuff or, or were you involved with any of the S2 testing uh, information that's kind of all become a, a huge deal this this, this offseason for whatever reason. Yeah, see, I, so I'll be completely honest with you guys. I'm not super analytical. That's not how my brain works. So uh, sure. we, we did have a uh, analytics team that's, you know, uh, Ty, uh, I think it's Siam or Siam. He's, he's a very intelligent guy. He kind of leads the analytics department at the Giants. Great guy. And they have a great staff. Like, I'm talking about some smart people where I'm just sitting there like, wow, like, how do you do that? You know what I mean? But so I'm sure that that's been used and, and they know how to, you know, read all that kind of stuff and what, you know, what goes into that. But for me, um, I, you know, I had nothing to do with that at all. Uh, and I'm glad because I, I would have been, been lost. Um, 
you know, a guy that has been in the draft room before, so you probably have seen some debates on players and stuff like that, but you are also uh, an admitted value to big board. You're basically roll the dice, play the board kind of philosophy, uh, if you will. Um, you're sitting in the third round in the Titans draft room. And they're 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 talking they're debating Tajay Spears versus whatever wide receiver may be left. Let's say Tyler Scott. Yeah, I mean, if Tajay Spears is that high, do you still do you roll the dice and play the board, or or as a scout, do you think there was a scout in there or someone in there pounding the table for a wide receiver? It, it's weird, right? So, um, and when, in my one experience in the draft, it was pretty. Um, uh, you know, methodical, uh, thought out, like, you know, Joe Shane did a great job of working with the coaches um, and and the personnel staff where we went in there and we pretty much had an idea of, you know, the, the either the player or the players that we wanted if they were available. Um, so it wasn't like it was like, well, here's five players. Who do you want? It was pretty much it was a pretty you know thought out process of like, here's who we think is going to be there. If he's here, it's where we're, who we're going to take him. If not, we'll go with this option. Um, so it was a pretty, they, you know, he was pretty, you know, you know, certain on who he wanted. Um, so that guy was there. We're taking him. Um, you know, my thought process, and I was telling a couple of my buddies as well about this with the, with the Titans, you know, with the selection of, you know, no receivers until, uh, you know, the seventh round, they must have not had anyone even close, you know, on their board compared to where they had, you know, uh, Spears at, in, in my opinion. Like, obviously, I know the, the medical concern, but they must have had him so high to where it's like, all right, this guy, like, at this value, we got to go, you know, take a chance on him versus, you know, the receivers could have been like a later round picks where they can get him later on if they were still there, right? Like, you don't want to, if you're in third round and your highest receiver is in the fifth round grade, you don't want to just go take a receiver because you need one, you know, versus the guy who's in, you have like a second round grade on and he's sitting right there. And, and if he hits, it's way bigger. Right. Um, so again, that's more of the value over a need. Um, Cause again, you don't, if you, if you pick for needs, again, you're reaching most of the time. And that's what leads to like, you know, a guy getting picked in the second round. It's really like a, you know, a six round player, the expectations are there and then he doesn't fulfill it. And that's where everybody starts getting, you know, angry and the fans start getting mad and, you know, all that. So especially uh, Mike, I don't know if you saw Mike on Twitter, but he was especially angry, disparaging Ty J Spears, saying he's basically <laughs> on borrowed time and in a wheelchair. Yeah. Uh, it's just this terrible, terrible tweets. By no, I, and, I, yeah. and I totally get it. I was pretty, you know, definitely, you know, with the picks, the first few rounds, like, because again, um, you know, I, all three can be good players, but again, I, and also I don't know enough about you know all the picks. I don't you know do as much of a deep dive as you guys did, but uh, so I definitely understand like receiver being a huge need. You're like, oh, like come on, like receiver, we need it. And then when you don't get it, it's easy to be like let down and frustrated. Um, again, it's happened. I, there's been plenty of times I've talked to Mike during drafts where I'm just like, man, like what the, you know, what are we doing? Or <laughs> or uh, you know, like we should draft this guy here and it doesn't happen. You're just like, man. I think the only draft where I was fired up was when, when A.J. Brown, that, that whole draft with Jeffrey Simmons, A.J. Brown, like I was, that was, I mean, that was no complaints. It was a fantastic draft. Probably the best draft of John Robinson, you know, tenure. But, um, but it, again, it's, you know, no one knows what the board looks like. Um, and again, you don't want to reach. And I, and I agree with Rand. I think he, what he said was spot on, like letting the board talk, you know, like play it out how they, you know, they spent all the work they did all the time, you know, put, making their rankings and things like that. So why do all that work? just to completely just like, you know, go away from it because you need a receiver. Right. So, um, you know, I think it's, you know, it's definitely, you gotta let it play out and, and see what happens. Yeah. One, one thing I'm interested in is from a scouting standpoint, you know, I know, you know, NFL team boards are often very, very, very different from yeah. like what the consensus ends up being and the the media does a bad job of eventually the, the, <laughs> the consensus all comes down together. Like if, if Mel Kuyper's real high on one guy, like eventually it all kind of feels all like kind they, of they get to the same spot, right? 
Um, so there's been some examples over the years where the Titans have taken guys that have been what, you know, just kind of like out of nowhere, it feels like. Like Kevin Byard was a good example of that, yes. where they kind of like they go for him in the third round and and a lot of people didn't have him until like, you know, a fifth or sixth round kind of guy. Um, and then but then there's also been like the Des Fitzpatrick who you know, came out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, he was, you know, picked in the fourth round over guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, obviously. Yeah. Tylen Wallace was in that class. Um, and then, you know, I think uh, Chris Jackson's another example. Colton Dowell this year, you know, a little bit of a – I mean, set, you can't really reach in the seventh round because you're just taking, you know, <laughs> take, yeah. whoever at that point. But um, guys that, like, the media had off their board completely or or you just didn't even hear their name discussed at all. And then the you know the team jumps up and drafts them much higher than expected. Yeah. Can you talk about a little bit like how do, is that even a discussion in draft rooms as far as like well the the consensus on this guy is X or is it just solely focused on like your process and your or do you try to like put blinders on to so you don't let the outside stuff influence you? Yeah, at the end of the day, it's about your process. It's what you, how they will fit your needs and your skill set and what you're looking for. Like, I get an example. Wondell Robinson, you know, the Giants, when I was there, took him in the second round. Everybody, you know, when we took him, you know, the media was like, oh, he's short. We had him in the fourth round because of that. Like, but again, they had an exact fit, what they were looking for out of him. And that's why he fit what they wanted. So um, I think it's all about, I mean, they do the work. They're the ones, you know, getting all the background, getting all, you know, evaluating the guy eight times, you know, before the draft, doing all the pro day stuff, you know, so. They obviously feel comfortable with it. And then, again, it's how will he fit our team. Um, and, and obviously, like, they, they believe wherever they take, whether it's right or wrong at the time, they just believe, like, this is a perfect fit for what we're looking to do. Um, now, again, it's not always right. But, you know, that's the drafting, I mean, no one's 100%. No one's even close. I mean, if you were, I mean, you would, you know, you'd be getting paid a billion dollars, you know, for your tricks. But, um, it, it, but again, it's all about. Uh, you know, how will this person fit our team? How will we use him? Like Gabe Davis with the Bills, right? Like they had an exact role, how they wanted to use him. And that's why he is how good he is because they, they had a plan and they, you know, went through with it and it's working out well for Gabe Davis. Might not be in the same situation if he went somewhere else, right? So it's all about uh, you know, how will he fit, how will he be used by that team. Uh, one last question before we let you go and in and, and the podcast and everything. Uh, is there a, a, a thing at, at PFF called a Titans tax where they just automatically deduct whatever point grading system that you, that they, they have came up with 10 points. They deduct 10 points automatically if you're a Tennessee Titan. Like, is it true? They start off at negative 10 while your bail starts at plus zero. I'll say this. I'll take some of the blame on that. When I worked there full time in 2019, uh, I was actually in the Cincinnati office. So I was sitting there with Zach Robinson with uh, Steve Palazzolo, Mike Renner, uh, Sam Monson, all those guys. And, I was a that was probably my peak, you know, diehard fan, you know, fanness of being a Titans fan. And every day, you know, I was trying to sell them a Mariota every day about how he's gonna be that, you know, he's gonna be great, he's gonna work out. So I definitely take some of the blame for that for you know wearing them out with that aspect. But um, you know, I'll say this um, from working there, and I was a part of the grading team when I was there. Uh, I know how it works. It, it it definitely there's no opinion at all involved in it. It's just truly you know black and white. It's like this guy missed a block. This guy did. Like it's pretty you know simple in that aspect. Every player you know you don't get graded on every play. It's just a point of attack. So if it's a receiver and a DB, it's only when he's throwing you know throwing the ball right. So if if he used great ninety percent of the time in coverage. But the five times, you know, he, you know, he got targeted, he gave up the, you know, the, the, the uh, passes. At that point, you know, the, the grade looks bad because it's five negative plays, and they don't count all the plays that, you know, he was locked down, right? Now, they do have a new process that helps kind of, you know, 
with that and, and they grade, you know, every single snap. But again, that's not done until like, you know, later on in the week, each week. Right. So, okay. uh, and it's not even, it's not even integrated into college yet. It's just the NFL. So there's still a way to go with some of the grades, but, but again, it's not an opinion thing. It's not like a scouting thing. Like they're not actually like scouting the players and being like, you know, it's just truly like, this is what he was. This is what he did. Like he missed the block. Uh, he made the block. Uh, he fumbled the ball or, you know, he broke some tackles as a runner. Like it's super, you know, it's broken down like that. Now it's pretty complex in terms of like doing it. Like it's, it takes you like four hours a game. I mean, it's, it's a grind. Um, it was, I, that was the hardest I've ever worked in terms of like, um, I was probably working 90 hours a week. I mean, oh my God. Easy. Uh, it was a grind, but, but again, there's no, like, I couldn't go, you know, grade a Titans game and then be like, okay, well, I love the Titans. So every player gets a, you know, a 90 grade, like that's not how it works. And it also gets double checked a couple of times. So there's a lot of processes that go through with it, but, um, but I will take the blame for annoying them, uh, you know, enough <laughs> about the Titans and, Dying on the hill for Marcus was not, I, not the I correct move. I died. I mean, I was – because I personally – so my dad coached for the Titans uh, from 2012 to 15. So I was there when they drafted him and uh, witnessed pretty much like the worst years ever of the Titans pretty much. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it was a brutal four years. But, uh, you know, so I, I wanted him to succeed so bad because he's such a great guy. But, uh, yeah. you know, it just never happened. So, you know, whatever. You, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, I, I think there is a, a timeline when he could have been good, but I, I think the injury really did like sap injury, some yeah. of his confidence. And yes. I, I felt like he was just gun shy after that with he was. almost everything. And more protecting himself and wanted to make sure he was good versus yeah. I think at 2016, I believe, was that the year that he like, you know, balled out and had all the stats. And yeah, and, uh, yeah the Jacksonville Jaguars game that, uh, yeah, that, I think that game right there, you know, changed his career. Yeah. Well, that will do it for us. This has been Football Nerd Airports. This has been Cole Brown. You can follow him on Twitter at ColeBrown12, followed by an underscore. You can follow Mike at PaulKarski.com. Get all of his written work there. And you can follow him on Twitter at, at MikeHerndonNFL. My name is Zach Lyde. You can follow me on Twitter at EffortsPod. And you can go and find all my written work at StackingTheInbox.com. Easy for me to do this outro today. For whatever <laughs> reason, I am fumbling over words. I would but blame this, it on the whiskey trip. It probably the is a little trip, bit of 100%. a hanger from the whiskey trip. Uh, it's uh, it's coming back today, even though I don't – I like – I, I drank a lot of water yesterday when I got home. I, you know, I ate some food. I slept really well. And I am still like, it's still lingering in my head. I have maybe some uh, whiskey brain going on right now. Uh, it happens. It happens. To yeah, us. it happens. Thank you for joining us, Cole. But this has been Football and Other F-Words. And you have just been effed.